0: I am so excited today to have a physical therapist who also has rheumatoid arthritis. This is a double, double whammy. We have Dr. Kimberly Steinbarger, and she is a physical therapist and assistant professor at Husson University in Bangor, Maine. So we're basically, I'm talking to her from Washington State, (laughs) a totally opposite side of the country. So she's had rheumatoid arthritis for 32 years, and she also runs a pro bono clinic specializing in rheumatic disease in her research and practice. So welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yay! So I just gave away my first question, but, um, so, um, you know, why did you, I'll just say, why did you become a physical therapist and how did you end up specializing in helping people with inflammatory arthritis?
1: Well, I, I, um, when I became a physical therapist, I did not have RA yet. So I went through college. Um, I decided to become a PT because I wanted to be in the healthcare field, and I didn't want to go to school forever. Yeah. So, <laughs> back then, there was it down. It was, it was a four-year degree, and I, I really, I really enjoyed the, the, the topic. And um, after I, di- I graduated in '89, I was diagnosed two years later with RA in '91. And I kind of knew what it was because of my schooling before I was diagnosed. But, you know, back then the diagnosis was kind of a long process, was a very long process. And uh, so that kind of started my interest, but I really didn't kind of, I didn't really, really pick it up until I was in my forties and I started doing more research and um, getting more involved in the community, the arthritis community as
0: I, as I age.
1: mm mm-hmm.
0: Well, and to rewind a second to your diagnosis time, were were you concerned that you, about how having RA would affect your career as a PT? Oh, I didn't tell anybody. Oh, but I mean, just symptom wise, were were you concerned that you would be able to do the job? Yeah. Or that there would be a bias. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, physical therapists, we're, we're, you know, we're the healthy, we're the, you know, we're the... We're in good shape. We move people around, yeah you know, and and uh, there was a dichotomy there with my diagnosis, and so I didn't tell anybody for the, long it, time.
0: oh my gosh, And was it hard to do your job? like where were you what kind of setting were you working in?
1: I was working in a hospital, okay. so um luckily, we rotated through the different levels it was it was I was actually in Honolulu, Hawaii at the time when I was diagnosed. Oh my gosh, I wow. nothing better to do after school, right? to so move to Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, And uh, so I, um, luckily I could, I rotated through. So some of the floors were more physically demanding than others. Mm-hmm. And I always had very good rehab aids, physical therapy assistance um, to help me if I needed some help.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, that, I mean, that's a huge concern for so many people who are recently diagnosed. Can I still, you know, do my career? And and so I'm, it's, a. to me, it's like heartening to hear that you were able to kind of compensate for the pain or yes, fatigue. Yes. And I, you know, I was so young, I was
1: 24, 24 yeah. when I was diagnosed. So it took me quite a few years to be able to kind of advocate for myself and say, okay, you know yes. what, I'm really good at this job and here's what I need in order to do it well.
0: Well, and so, and yep. just to deviate a little bit, so we have a little plan here of, I'm already deviating from our plan of questions, but <laughs> just, just out of curiosity, I know you were diagnosed right before, like the biologics were coming out, right? Yeah. So medication wise, how was your, if you, if you don't mind sharing, like, what? I don't,
1: mind. I took gold. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's how old, that's how old I am. Uh, yeah, I took gold for several years. I took, um, you know, some of the NSAIDs, the Trilisate, azulfidine, all those older ones. I took those for a lot of years um, until I finally started methotrexate, maybe 10 years in. And yeah, so I I took, I was lucky because back then I had doctors that treated it aggressively right away. Mm -hmm. They didn't start me with the aspirin and the Tylenol, you know, and the kind of really, you know, over the counter type treatments. They were very aggressive right away. And I was really, you know, very much for that mm-hmm. at the time. And at the time, you know, being as young as I was, I didn't realize what a wonderful thing that was. 100%. That way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, and, and I'm just curious if 10 years in, had you started having any like deformities or anything like that? Or were you more well-managed when you started the biologic? Oh,
1: no, I would, every day when I get in the shower, I would stretch my hands out. Cause that's where it started for me was my hands. Um, and trying to wear good shoes for my feet. Um, luckily for me, my big joints weren't affected unless the inflammation got really out of control. Mm-hmm. I have like a sequence. Yeah. yeah. The control, you know? Uh, and uh, so it was mostly my hands and, you know, I think my education really helped me because I was able, to, I knew how to keep my fingers you know, from from deforming and mm-hmm. how to keep track of what was getting tight and how to stretch it out. And so I I knew that and I was very aggressive with that at the beginning.
0: Well, and that's so, And I know both of us are so motivated to help other patients, you know, living with inflammatory arthritis. And it's just, it's such a shame that all newly diagnosed patients aren't given you know, access to physical therapists, occupational oh, yeah. therapists to help them. There are so many things you can do, like you mentioned, but they're very specific. The, the, the kinematics, the kinesiology of the human hand is so incredibly complex. You can't just mm-hmm. intuitively figure it. I mean, it's better than nothing to just kind of intuitively be like, I'm going to move my fingers the way that they move yeah. and just do something, but still, sorry, I'm getting off on the soapbox already. But um, yeah, speaking of, you know, being a physical therapist- and I think a lot of people would be curious, like, what is your we always talk in occupational therapy, about our elevator speeches. For mm-hmm. you, like, do you have an elevator speech of people saying, what What does a physical therapist do to help someone with rheumatoid arthritis? I do, actually. I All can right. I can uh, I can walk through your life with you.
1: Find out what are the things you've given up, and can we get those back? And mm-hmm. you know, what goals do you have? for movement, for life, for your roles that you play every day, whether it's work, school, home, you know, mom, dad, you know, whatever your, your life role is, what are some of the tasks you need to be able to do to fill that out? I can help you with that. And it's not just about going to the gym and
0: exercising. It's about how to manage your life. Wow. That's so congruent with occupational therapy to this, like why we're like the dream team, but yeah, um, yeah so true. It's about Using the modality of physical activity to get mm-hmm. at whatever the underlying deficits, quote unquote, or challenges are that are preventing you from performing your daily activities. I don't know if that's a, if I'm putting words in your mouth, but that's another way of putting no, it.
1: Yeah, that's fine. It's, you know, it's, we give up a lot of things when yeah. we are in pain. And, you know, what what's the first thing to go? It's usually the fun stuff, the leisure activity. The things we like to do, right? Or you know, those roles that maybe maybe we don't go to church, and that's important to us because of mobility issues or access issues. You know, those are things that a PT can help you with. Those are important, and uh, you know, trying to get some of that back. And you know, one of the first things I ask my patients is, "What do you enjoy that you're not doing?" And let's see if we can figure out a way to to bring it back into your life. It's not always about walking, running lifting weights, you know, it's, it's yeah. about, it's about everything else that the other 99% of your life.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I so resonate with that. And, um, yeah, it's about doing, I just wrote down doing what you love. I mean, that's like such a real, br- I mean, who does, who wouldn't want to see somebody who can help them? Sp- you know, I'm saying, I feel like I'm like on an advertisement right now, like you should do PC. <laughs> um, but that is, we're trying it through this podcast episode, you know, um, spoiler alert going to try to help people bust some of the myths they might have about physical therapy. Like I was telling you before we started recording, it's like, I, I kind of had this impression too, that physical therapists kind of quote unquote, gym bros, like people who just care about like pumping that iron and like, you know, getting, getting huge muscles. And, um, you know, and unfortunately I've, I have had, you know, seen patients who've told me, you know, oh my gosh, I had, you know, I had a bad experience with a physical therapist or, and that's just about Unfortunately, with whether it's counseling, whether it's rheumatology, whether it's a pediatrician, there are some good providers and not so great providers out there. So one thing I would say is if you had a one bad experience, you know, try to seek out somebody in the physical therapy world who really has experience with an autoimmune inflammatory type of arthritis Mm -hmm. as distinct from osteoarthritis. What would be something else you would want patients to, you know, or what is something else you wish patients would know about? Um, physical therapy or like any uh, myths that you might want (laughs) to bust?
1: Well, we, you know, we, again, exercise is kind of our big thing. We're movement specialists, but there's a lot of things that, that relate to movement that aren't exercise. You know, we can talk in general terms about things like diet. I can talk to you about your fatigue and how to manage your fatigue. We can talk about how to modify activities if they're not seeing OT for that, I can talk about, you know, how to modify some activities to make it um, make their workflow better. How You know, how yeah. can we set up your workstation? How can we schedule your day to kind of balance activity with rest? So it's not just about exercise. It's about all of the, the other things that you need for good movement. Uh, you know, you need yeah. nutrition, you need energy, you need, you know, there's yes. a lot of
0: other things there. I think that's really a good, I'm, I'm working on like pausing and digesting the things people are saying because my brain works at like, you know, there's a saying about people with ADHD that they have like a Ferrari mind with bicycle brakes. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that swing, but I'm working on sort of developing some Ferrari brakes because that's a really beautiful, important statement that it is about Analyzing your movement, the way that you move through this earth and through your physical environment and your energetic environment, not in like a woo-woo sense, but like in a fatigue sense, like the environment. A little bit of woo-woo too. Oh, well, why not? Yeah. <laughs> like what if that's important to you? Yes, let's yep. go to the woo-woo, you know. Um, and saying, like, you know, if I can pick up my water bottle with two hands, that disperses the weight of this water bottle across two hands. And if I put my fingers in a certain way, it's going to put less stress on them than if I pick it up like this, you know, sorry, this is vision. I should know after a hundred episodes, this is an auditory medium. If you're watching it on YouTube, I, you can see the video, but if you pick it up with one hand, it's going to take, you know, all those little micro uh, interactions that you have throughout your day, you can have a a physical therapist or occupational therapist. That is one area where we definitely overlap that we can Mm. analyze and kind of use our detective brains to figure out how could you be more efficient or how could you move through the world with more ease and joy, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: and, yeah. and we you mentioned
0: about sleep, sleep. Yes. Yeah. Sleep, the forgotten lifestyle. Fact. Yes. yes. Yeah.
1: How do you sleep? Is there a position, you know, for me, I had a hard time sleeping. I would wake up all yeah. the time until I found the right bed. Once I found the right bed, I slept the night for the first time in probably 30 years. And i was. like, Wow, is that what that's like?
0: <laughs> was it? I'm Now everyone's going to want to know. Was it like a more <laughs> firm mattress, or was it a less firm? Like, what was for you? I know we're all different, but just yeah, kind
1: of- no, it was something that I could adjust. I could adjust it, mm. so which was nice, and I could also adjust the head and the foot, um, yeah. which which was nice that I could change it because you know our our disease is very cyclic; it, it it comes and goes and ebbs and flows, and so what one position might not work one night works great the next. And with a more adjustable sleeping surface, I found that that worked very well for me to get a better night's sleep.
0: That's so crucial. It's so funny that you say that because in one of the room to thrive support groups that I facilitated, there was a physical therapist who also has RA. And I asked her in all your experience to be with RA and your own life experience. Like I said, I'm on this ever long quest to find like the perfect set of pillows and oh. <laughs> yeah, so such as I hurt my neck in a car accident in 2016. And so there's like, you know, there's acute illness, acute injury, turning into chronic pain from that mm. injury layered on top of the inflammatory, you know, arthritis. And so she was like, honestly, this is going to sound so, so simple. She's like, but after so many years and trying things herself, she's like, my best set of tools is like a set of yeah, whatever pillows that you have come up with or set of pillows. That's like a variety that works for you. But she's like, but also a set of small to medium hand towels that you can roll up, roll and them up put yeah <laughs> exactly into the spaces. And I was like, it's so simple. It just might work. <laughs> yeah.
1: And you can stuff it in the pillowcase along the long edge of the, the pillow. Oh, that's so stays level. in place. Yeah, it's very simple. That's uh, so so many pillows in my house, my, my kids would laugh oh. talk about it because I would try them and discard them. And so they go on another bed in the house.
0: Yeah, more pillows
1: than a woman needs.
0: We need like a pillow collector support group. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but you know, so you've mentioned so far, just in our brief conversation, you've mentioned you know physical activity, sleep, you know, diet and nutrition. Coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, these are the three main things. Well, that were looked at at the 2022 American College of Rheumatology guideline for exercise, rehabilitation, diet, and additional integrative interventions for rheumatoid arthritis. I tried to say it in one breath, but I couldn't. That was pretty good. Yeah. And what, which is, this has become like, for me, it's like, I don't want to say Bible because that's a totally different thing, but it's, it's a really important synthesization document that kind of had, that I would love to hear from your um, standpoint as somebody who helped create these guidelines. Um, uh, well, okay. Just skipping to the end really quick. There is a chart that is the result of this many years long research-based process that has things in color codes that are to do with exercise, rehabilitation, diet, and additional things. And we'll talk about those. Um, and so it's, it's a starting point because lifestyle is so overwhelming for RA that this is saying, Mm -hmm. look, not just cherry picking certain articles that go with what I already want to do, but what is the breadth of the research saying is going to give you the most bang for your buck as a starting point. And so, um, sorry, I just like rambled about it, but, um, you know, tell me, I would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, how did, does do documents like this from the American college of rheumatology, how do they come about? What was involved in mm-hmm. creating this?
1: So this was my first time working on a guideline. So this is my first one. And um, I was naive as to how much work, you know, it's a good two-year process and you it takes an entire team of people to take thousands literally of mm-hmm. articles and condense them down into the ones that make it at the end, you know, and so you, you end up condensing them down to uh, you know, a 100 or so or less. And, and it is it's a huge, long process to condense them. You first, you read the abstracts, then you read the articles of the promising ones. And each time you're knocking articles out that don't make the cut. And so then you're left with a pool of articles, you know, a year later, that you can now try to synthesize into, into got recommendations. What recommendations from what we read can we make with either a strong recommendation, a conditional recommendation, or a weak recommendation or no recommendation. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what the guideline does. And that chart is really a great place because the guideline is pretty long, but the chart, the summary chart is nice because it it color codes it. Like you said, and the only, the only strong recommendation was exercise. That was the only strong recommendation out of that whole two-year
0: process. And and by the way, that included looking at, so you have 19 people, all of who have professional degrees and are experts in their fields, you know, mm-hmm. PhD, I'm looking at the people's names, you know, DPT, doctor of physical therapy, doctors, regular the medical T. doctors, T. Yeah. occupational therapists, um, social worker, master of public health, PhD, and they they're looking objectively at all this data. And so consistent engagement exercise was more strongly recommended than comprehensive physical therapy or comprehensive occupational therapy. So it's like, wow, we went to our degrees and actually if we just got people the exercise. No, it doesn't mean that it's not effective. Right. So it's just, it's, it was, I think it's important to look at the, this objectively and say like, wow, that if you're a patient and you're like, why does my doctor keep heartbeat on exercise? Like, or that seems so unrealistic or it just seems like they're not listening to me because I'm in pain and you can't exercise if you're in pain. You know, it's like, it's because the wealth of the evidence is stronger for, for exercise or engagement and consistent engagement in physical activity than it is for diet than yes. it is. It's just yeah. objectively true. Exercise is, is the best
1: medicine that nobody uses. Well, some people do. (laughs) It's hard, you know, but it's hard, right? Asking people, you know, if I'm asking somebody to exercise and eat right, those are two things we don't want to (laughs) do, you know? It's hard, and I understand that it's hard, Um, so that's why it's really important to start with baby steps, so that it's not overwhelming, and it's not as, well, it doesn't have to be as hard as it sounds.
0: I, yeah, you've totally anticipated my next question and I think it is, how do you, so if someone knows this and they're like, I'm just going to look at this chart, which is on page two of the uh, guideline summary, mm-hmm. I'm going to link, there is three separate documents that I think are really important. One is like the peer reviewed, the 13 page peer reviewed journal article that like summarizes all this it for like professionals. And then there's the two page summary And then there's the 564 page (laughs) Appendix 3 Supplementary Appendix Evidence Report. And I know that a lot of people uh, in the healthcare field knock, you know, social media or think patients are just getting misinformed on there. Well, I've had a lot, since I've been talking about these guidelines, a lot of people have asked me, where do I learn more? Where can I see the original articles, summaries of these articles that were the base that formed the basis of this report. And I'm like, look, you can go look to the section on diet and, or on supplements and you know, why are supplements not recommended. Um, you can look on this document on page whatever. <laughs> it's one of the pages mm-hmm. between one and 564, there's like, you can look and see which where it's going to be. Um, and that these are listed as, okay, we're going to get to how people can get started, but I wanted to say on this appendix three, because I'm getting real nerdy here, but it's, it's really... It's really interesting because it says, so the way that things are framed in these guidelines is, for example, on dietary interventions, question one, should patients with RA use a formally defined diet? Question two, should patients with RA use a commercially available dietary supplement? Page number three, should patients with RA who are overweight or obese receive a weight loss intervention? Like you're going through each of these questions and then is it right to say that you'd be synthesizing the research within each of those? Yeah, the
1: questions is where we start. They're called mm -hmm. a VECO question. And that's where we start. The whole process is Mm -hmm. coming up with the questions. Here are the questions we want to answer with the research, and then we can target our search.
0: Yeah. And it's just, it's, I love this because it's so practically relatable to what patients, like these are Mm -hmm. literally the things people ask me and the support groups and, you know, (laughs) where I created my own self-management program, which coincidentally standardized self-management programs are conditionally recommended. So that's good. Um, uh, Again, strong recommendation. There's only one, and that's consistent engagement exercise. There's a lot of ones that are conditionally recommended, which can you remind us what's the difference between a strong recommendation and a conditional recommendation? So strong is that the evidence, the
1: the evidence is, is, the, the evidence is strong to support the use of this for most people with mm-hmm. the diagnosis. Conditional is that the evidence isn't as strong. It's moderate, but so for certain conditions, for certain people, it works really, really well. Like say, take physical mm-hmm. therapy, for example, not everyone benefits from physical therapy. It's condition. You know, if you, you yeah. see the right physical therapist at the right time with the right treatment you get a really good benefit, but they can't say is it always going to help? No, we couldn't find the evidence to say yes, it always does. But exercise was pretty strong across the board.
0: And no, and in no the looking. so in a in a way, it would almost be conditional. Recommendations are almost in my head like there's some caveats. Like maybe you know yes, it, yes. it'll probably help you, but. It might not help you as much if X, Y, Z, maybe you have a bunch of comorbidities or you have, you know, so a lot of stuff is in there, like specifically aquatic exercise, you know, hand therapy exercises, splinting, orthosis, compression, bracing, and or taping, which is, again, it's kind of interesting as an occupational therapist nerding out about this because you're like, or like joint protection, like how on earth is joint protection? What could it not be helpful with? (laughs) Potentially maybe just if you protect your joints too much and you have immobility, And a
1: lot of the problem was not so much that joint protection was bad in an instance, but just that the studies weren't strong enough. Maybe they had Mm. some bias in them. Maybe they didn't have a large population. Maybe they weren't well controlled. So it's not necessarily if it's conditional, it it was bad for people, but it's, there's not enough evidence, strong, good, non-biased evidence to say yes, this
0: I, I remember seeing that for um compression gloves. I I really I really dug into the research for that and I was surprised given the amount of kind of positive feedback I've seen. I now this is not mm-hmm. a randomized control trial, right? But just and in my own personal experience, I'm like, wow, it's really seemed to help people. But yeah, the evidence is just not objectively as strong. It's not there's nothing wrong with it, like there's nothing evidence that it's ineffective, mm-hmm. but um but they're not the evidence for it isn't as strong. So actually I will stay on this train of thought before we go into getting started with movement and exercise, because I think this is important to understand the difference if you're looking at this chart, again, page two of the integrative RA treatment guideline summary, which is just the two page summary. This is the chart that has different greens and reds. None of the things were strongly recommended against but four of the things were conditionally recommended against. So what, what makes something... Now, interesting? It, these four, I'm going to say them out loud because I think these are interesting because these are some of the things people ask me the most about and that I see the most inf- misinformation online about, especially diet. So any formal formally defined diet other than Mediterranean style is conditionally recommended against. Any dietary supplements are conditionally recommended against. That does not mean for you as an individual... That the keto diet, or the paleo diet, or vegan, or specific other, you know, uh, autoimmune protocol, there's evidence that that's going to be harmful to you specifically, but at the population level, looking at large numbers of people, right? That these there's something about these that's not just not that helpful. It's what makes it conditionally recommended against.
1: Uh, I think a lot of the problem with say, for example, diet, when you take a group of people and you try to do a study on how they eat. Trying to get everybody to eat the same way for a certain Mm -hmm. number of weeks is impossible. Unless you have them in a very, a very artificial type of an environment or where you're actually providing the food for them, which again, it makes it very well controlled, but is it realistic? And we look at both of those things. And so, you know, we can't, it was really, it can be really hard to recommend something when the the studies are kind of all over the place. If you well, if you control it really, really well, it's not practical and it's not realistic. So you have to yeah. finding that balance is really hard. Um, yeah. So there is a, you know, the Mediterranean diet was one of the ones that, that, that it had more, it just had more evidence, more studies were done on the Mediterranean diet than anything else. So that's the yeah. one that got the conditional recommendation. And then you couldn't make any recommendations about yeah. anything else.
0: Yeah, I think it's worded so, you you just summarized it really well. And I also, I think that the wording is really powerful or really helpful in the, the 13 page journal article itself. I'm look, sitting here looking at page eight here and it says, we conditionally recommend against adherence to the formally defined diet other than Mediterranean based on very low to moderate certainty of evidence demonstrating no consistent clinically meaningful benefit from following other formally designed diet strategies on physical function, pain, or disease activity specific to RA. In addition to the level of certainty of evidence, this recommendation is conditional because of the burden and costs that accompany, that accompany adhering to a formally defined diet and patient pre- preferences are expected to differ. Mm-hmm. I think taking into account, that's what's so crucial. What I often tell people is, look, if, if there's someone out there trying to peddle you a a way to manage your arthritis fatigue that is really low cost and low time consuming. That's like, you need to turn around and bounce on one foot for three seconds every day, once a day, you're like, sure. Like, what do I have to lose by doing that? Mm-hmm. Not a lot, but for some of the really strict diets that you are losing potentially, your, your cost benefit analysis is, I'm spending these precious hours of my only life here on earth obsessing over food, spending mm-hmm. considerable money on something that may not actually end up working. I'm not saying against it, if that's what you value in life. And if, if this is where context is so important, if you're super rich and you want to throw every single possible tool, your toolbox, that is totally makes sense in your life. But if you're like, look, I only have so many hours in the day, so much money, where do I want to put my energy? That's where the guidelines can be helpful. Or would you agree with that? Sorry. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, and
1: especially when you think about someone with RA or any rheumatic disease, Mm -hmm. your energy is limited. So you need to be very selective about where you're putting that energy. I tell my students here, I say, if you're going to, you know, prescribe an exercise, for example, it better be a damn good exercise because if they're going to expend the energy to do it, it's got to be worth the
0: time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the supplement part, is important to dig into the details for people who are interested in reading more, because it talks about the idea of having not, it's not to say that the vitamin contained in the supplement is necessarily bad or ineffective, but their voting panel supported a food first approach but recognized that the dietary supplements may serve a role for bone like vitamin D and cardiovascular health like fish oil. But then the, the recommendations refer to those produced by the US Department of Agriculture and Health and Human Services and the Heart Association. So it was just interesting that they kind of ca- had those caveats in there for the supplements. Because that's something a lot of people ask, what natural quote-unquote supplements can I... Right. You know?
1: And I think I think part of the conclusion there was that the supplement, supplement recommendations aren't right now. Mm-hmm. We don't have any evidence to do anything different for someone with rheumatic disease versus somebody without. I mean, the USDA and their recommendations are fine for most people and including people with rheumatic disease. There wasn't a differentiation that could be found. And there's so much conflicting research out there, as you know, on supplements and what to take and what not to take. And does this work? And does that work? And so it, it really, there really wasn't a clear conclusion other than what the guidelines already are established for the adult population.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really important to know that they're talking about supplements specific for RA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the last one before we go on to diving deeper into exercise would just be, I think actually probably the best place I should have started with, with looking at the recommended against, conditionally recommended against is chiropractic. Because to me as a patient looking at cost benefit, the most important thing to, to me to start with is could this harm me? Could this harm me in a way that would last a long time? Mm -hmm. And it's very possible that, you know, this, I'll just say from the guidelines themselves, you know, um, in the absence of evidence, we conditionally recommend against chiropractic therapy via chiropractic spinal adjustment directly for the management of RA because of the potential cervical spine complications that can occur. So that's, to me, that was pretty um, important to take into account that you could actually get hurt doing this. I mean, supplements, there's certainly supplements. People have been hospitalized for. Dr. Kara Wada, if you remember that episode, she's an allergist immunologist who has Sjogren's and was hospitalized due to liver side effect of a supplement she had been taking to try to naturally manage her Sjogren's. So there are harms that can come from supplements um, or for any activity you or know, exercise, if you do overdo it and hurt yourself, but chiropractic is like directly potentially can be harmful is right. that how
1: yeah and and a lot of that is you know even in for pt you know we do do some manipulations if you're properly trained mm-hmm. and that's like the number one contraindication is somebody that has ra particularly if it affects their neck and you don't touch it yeah uh, you know so that that is actually a really big caveat
0: yeah yeah so- that and so if you don't know having rheumatoid arthritis um, can lead to, I don't know how to pronounce it, cervical, uh, uh, instability of yes. the atlas and the axis, like C1 mm-hmm. and C2, which are like the vertebrae right below your skull
1: or yeah. like your brain stem, yeah. your brain stem, is.
0: stem is there. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of important for like breathing and life. And unfortunately, you might've heard of people that I'm not saying all chiropractors are going to harm someone, but it's, it's a, a by any means, majority of chiropractors obviously are Doing, you know, something that people perceive as helpful, otherwise, it wouldn't continue to exist as a field. But, um, you know, if something that someone's about to do, there's a risk-benefit analysis that has to occur. If the benefit, if the potential risk is very, very high, the potential benefit needs to be very high, and the potential benefit is very, very inconclusive of chiropractic lack of, you know, uh, uh, there's a lack of benefit from chiropractic therapy for RA. Um, and indicated that this approach carries a perceived burden and cost. (laughs) I'm the (laughs) thing. And it's important to mention that because this part of the guideline actually talks about the voting panel and the patient panel. So I mentioned earlier because I was being kind of an academic snob saying that, um, you know, I'm a little bit of a snob, not not a snob, but you know, to me, the juggies mean something. I'm not going to be, you know, that means something that people have devoted their life to these things. But also it means something that patients have, patients are the experts in their own care and patients are, have lived experience that contributes to these guidelines too. So the voting, there was the voting panel of the experts and then there's the patient panel and they were able to vote on these as well. Is that right? Yep. If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks, and it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory, autoimmune forms of arthritis like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly thriveroom with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Yeah, it's really, it's really, I mean, yeah, I think this is, again, I've been like proselytizing if that's the right word for this telling people to check out this guideline because um you can yeah it's like doing a lot of a lot of people want to do their own research and it's important to do your own research on different interventions but it's amazing that someone's already kind of like amalgamated the important like many of the important research yeah, things yeah. so I mean just yeah. the
1: number of man hours of hundreds of people
0: yes to put this together yeah it's more efficient to start there than just try to do it all on your own in other words mm-hmm. But, um, but okay. So we (laughs) earlier, (laughs) 10 minutes ago or whenever we were talking about not knowing a lot of people tell me, where do I start? I'm overwhelmed, or I tried one form of exercise and I felt worse. And now I'm scared to to try something else. What do you recommend as a starting place for? And I know I use the word exercise, but we may be for increasing physical activity. So, so
1: yeah, I, I try to rephrase it as physical activity because, you know, exercise, what do you think of? We think, oh my gosh. I've got to get changed, I've got to go to the gym, I've got to work out, and then I've got to take a shower and then I've got to get changed again and go back. you know, it's a long process. And for someone with limited um, energy, that yeah. is exhausting. It's exhausting just to think about it, right? But if you try to frame it more in terms of physical activity, you know, do you like to garden? That's physical activity. Are you doing housework? That's physical activity. The who actually, the the World Health organization has a statistic that I love. I mean, it's, if you can do five more minutes of physical activity mm-hmm. than what you did yesterday, it improves your health. I love that. Yeah. I love that stat. Um, yeah. And uh, I, you know, I tell patients that too. You don't have to start with, uh, you know, our Zumba class three times a week. Mm-hmm. Maybe you start, you tend to only walk around your house. Maybe you walk to the mailbox. Mm-hmm. if you only think you can walk to the mailbox if you walk a little ways down the street you know and try to go a little bit further you don't have to you know tackle the world right out of the gate it's baby yeah. steps it's just a little bit more walking do something you enjoy I really am a proponent of doing something you enjoy what's something that you dropped out of your life that yeah. because of the pain and because of the fatigue that maybe you want to try to do And, you know, we can, you know, we can look at that. I had a woman that, that she quilted and I didn't realize her quilting machine took up our whole garage. Uh She walked around that quilting machine. I don't know how many times we put a pedometer on her and she was getting all kinds of physical activity. Never realized. I said, well, there's, there's your start right there and you're doing something
0: you enjoy. So it doesn't seem like exercise, but it is. Yeah. I once heard someone use the phrase incidental exercise, which I really like. It's like, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. When I used to go swing dancing, I'd be like, well, yeah, I, there is a, I understand there's a benefit for me of physical activity, but the reason I went dancing was to see my friends and have fun and, you know, and listen to the music and, and just the joy of the activity. And incidentally, it was also checking off from my daily, you know, physical activity. So can you find things that you enjoy? um, that, that can also give you that, that boost. And I think one of the biggest barriers is this perception, which is totally makes sense. If you don't know the research that if I'm fatigued, I feel tired and lack of energy. Why are you telling me to expend more energy? And I think if you think about like the people's perception of like the spoon theory which is that you only have a certain number of spoons you get started with the, at the beginning of the day, and every activity you do uses a spoon. You're like, well, why am I going to use some of my spoons on exercise? Now, I I know you, you I know you know, I know, we both know that the evidence is actually opposite The exercise or a physical activity leads to improved fatigue. How do you get people to understand this until they try? Because I did not, I was blo- like, I was just mind blown when I learned that. I was like, why does this make sense? Does not make sense? Yeah. It's counterintuitive,
1: right? If yeah. like, well, I'm tired and I exercise, am I going to be more tired? Yeah, yeah.
0: And you know what I,
1: I tell patients usually is the answer is yes at first. Give me right. two weeks is what I tell them. Give me two weeks to let your body adjust because there are a lot of things physiological that happen with pain when you start to move mm-hmm. and with depression when you start to move. Pain and depression are also affected very positively by movement and by physical activity. And I, I think, this is my own theory, I think that all feeds into the fatigue. And that's where a lot of my research is right now, is on, is on fatigue. And I think right. once you start moving, I think some of these other things come into effect, you know, you start to feel less pain after about two weeks. Like I said, you know, like all of us, we start a new activity, it makes you sore, right? Yeah. 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 But you have to keep going and let your body adjust. And so your pain goes down, your mood improves, your fatigue improves, your sleep improves. And then eventually your strength, your range of motion, your, all of those other things that we think of as the, the, the traditional benefits of exercise kick in, but you got to give it that, that two weeks and, and you'll feel better eventually. It, like I said, at first, no, you're going to feel tired because you're not used to it. Your body has not made those proper adjustments.
0: Yeah. I, it, it reminds me a little bit of like, and I know that this is not to go into massage as a modality for RA specifically, but when I, I had gotten a couple massages in my life prior to my car accident in 2016, I was like, I kind of feel my joints definitely hurt more after a massage. I was like, Mm -hmm. this is weird. Like this is not helpful for me. So then when I started getting them consistently for my neck after my car accident, I realized that it was, this is my layman theory, like slightly informed of being an OT, that I think what what happened is that initially, yeah, the first couple massages, I almost felt like it's like, well, a lot of your immune system is in your lymph, right? Or circulating mm. through your lymph. So you're loosening up all this lymph that's all been like kind of congealed together, right? Around, and in your whole body. And it's, so it's kind of initially my joints all of them hurt worse after a couple of massages. But then when I started getting them more regularly, that effect went away where it was no longer kind of inflaming my joints. And so I think exercise, potentially exercise is moving your lymph too, right? It's moving yeah, all your circulation, everything's pumping. And I just think it's, yeah, it's like, if you want to exercise, if you, the the benefits of physical activity for rheumatoid arthritis are so far beyond the actual joints. You know, yeah, it's it's yeah. almost yeah. ironic because you're like, mm-hmm. what other intervention do we have, a natural intervention other than sleep that can help fatigue? Mm-hmm. Movement, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they actually um, you know, I'm I can give y'all some of the in, in the show notes, some of, of these citations, but for my self-management program, I put together this list of like here's what exercise, and I just used the word exercise, is associated with rheumatoid arthritis? Less pain and stiffness, less fatigue, better sleep, improved strength, not surprisingly, but improved mood, improved cognition, which wh- what other tools do we have for brain fog that actually work? Mm-hmm. Again, they all, everything's interrelated, so you got to sleep too, and but exercise, you know, movement helps your sleep. Decreased risk of cardiovascular complications, extremely important for us because mm-hmm. of the comorbidities, and then decreased risk of osteoporosis you're load bearing on your bones. So you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, this is not just about building muscle to support my joints mechanically, although that's helpful. It's about these systemic symptom improvements. So,
1: Oh yes. I, I had got my first DEXA scan of my life. Yeah. I was 56 years old. I got my first DEXA scan ever. And
0: I'm proud to say it was fine. <gasps> Mine was, I got mine like five years ago or something. And I was like, oh my God, thank God I was a runner for so many years too. I was yeah, wondering yeah. if that was why. Yeah, I'm a black belt and that's
1: where my,
0: yeah. Oh, wow. Well, so. and okay. So I, that's amazing. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I'm glad that we talked about fatigue and exercise because again, I think that would be logically, like it logically would make sense for you to be like, I'm tired. Why are you telling me to move? But
1: mm-hmm.
0: hopefully this little conversation has helped you understand that the evidence and they'll take randomized control trial evidence. Half the people are not moving, the other half are in an exercise intervention, and they they consistently through multiple studies are showing improved fatigue levels, which is really exciting because your medications don't always work as strongly for fatigue as they do for pain, right? They're like Correct. different. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. so fascinating how sometimes they're on the I joke that they're on the same whack-a-mole like that old, you know, arcade game, versus they're on different whack-a-moles sometimes. But um one of the things that I found helpful, I'll tell me what you think about this. But when we talk about getting started for exercise, also thinking about or, or movement, physical activity, thinking about three main types has helped me, like the pillars being cardiovascular, getting my blood pumping to a moderate level and weight or resistance training or getting my muscles challenged and then stretching like us three kind of mm-hmm. separate buckets. Yeah. Um, do you also, and I know that that seems overwhelming to some people probably cause it's like, ah, that's three things. So I just want to do one thing, mm-hmm. but, um, but, certain but you things know like
1: it, it's yeah. fine to start with one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's fine to
1: start with one. You know, but, but those three things are important because they're important depending on what stage of your disease you're in, whether mm-hmm. you're in an active flare versus inactive disease or, or coming mm-hmm. out of a flare. Those three things, you're going to use those in different ways, which again, PTOT can show you how to do this. You know, yeah. during a flare, resistive exercise isn't appropriate. It's too painful. And it's too damaging to the joint. Yeah. Range of motion, light stretches, perfect. Yeah, coming out of a flare, you know, you can add that cardiovascular stuff. That's not real heavy into a joint strain, but it it, it gets the heart pumping, you know, like you're, you're swimming, you're biking, you're walking, you're things like that. And then once you're in your, your disease is inactive, that resistive exercise is a great thing to add at that time, because now your joints um, can handle it better. And so the type of exercise is really important as well as the amount.
0: Yeah. And this is, I'm going to draw from my own completely anecdotal evidence because I haven't seen, I haven't seen any studies on people with RA that specific, that isolate um, resistance training and muscle, you know, muscle building from the cardio and the stretching. But Mm -hmm. I have in, in my own, they call it self-evidence, right? You have developed your own symptom tracking is developing self-evidence, evidence from your own life. Um, and so last September, 2023, I started doing two personal training sessions a week. And I told myself, I'm going to start with the personal training at my husband's job because it's a spouse benefit. But I was like, if these people don't know what they're doing, I'm going to PT because I, I didn't, I was kind of skeptical because again, the quality control can vary, but I was very fortunate to very, one of them's a pre-PT student. She, mm-hmm. she got into PT, getting her doctorate in PT, but she's taken a year off to earn some money before. So anyway, she's incredible. And I have been blown away. So I have gained definitely, my goal was to gain weight, through gain muscle, you know, because mm-hmm. I was starting to feel weaker. Uh, I could just feel it, you know, just, uh, just you know, being in my forties now and not, I was always, I've always been into cardio. I've always liked that kind of endorphin high, the runner's high, all that stuff. I haven't done running the last like 10 years or so, but I've been like doing the exercise bike. But I hadn't been doing, I was saying like my upper body just feels so weak, like my arms and my back and my posture is getting bad. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do weight training. The benefits, I was hoping that I would get better posture and, Mm -hmm. you know, feel in my body more strong. Those are my main. And I knew all these other benefits are probably potentially going to happen. The two huge things that surprised me that were have been so noticeable have been improved energy, decreased Mm -hmm. fatigue and mood. Like, and I think sleep yeah. has to do with it all too. But I was, I don't know if you, I'm just sharing this for anyone listening in case you're like, because sometimes people are like, I don't like the cardio. Cause it like, I don't like getting sweaty as much, although you do sweat when you weight train. But I was, I was really blown. I've been really blown away by how much, you know, better I feel now that I've been in this muscle, muscle training and, uh, <laughs> you know, life now. And, um, I wasn't, I'm not aware of, again, any research that totally isolates the resistance training, but it's been a really positive thing for me. If you have access to like personal training or PT to help you build muscle, um, that's my little words of encouragement, I guess. Yeah. And, and, you know,
1: for, for adults, you know, the American college of sports medicine recommendations for physical activity are, you know, the 30 minutes a day, five days a week of cardio, but also two days a week of resistance training. And that's for all adults, and there isn't any reason why somebody with RA can't do that in a modified way. You know, I'm maybe the able... ch- exactly two days a week. I got it. Yes, yeah, you got it. You're there. Okay. You know, and so the you know those those general guidelines for for adults um, they count for people with rheumatic disease as well. It's just you probably have to start much smaller and yeah. maybe work yeah. your way up, but anything if it's not 30 minutes then that 30 minutes can be broken up into five minute intervals. It That's, doesn't have to be 30 minutes all at once. If you're that, doing three 10 minute sessions of whatever walking, swimming, biking, whatever exercise you like, gardening, you know, something that makes you a little bit breathless, mm-hmm. you're you're doing you're doing something for your heart. And you know, if you're lifting something that makes your muscles tired, you're doing resistance activity. Even if it's not a formal thing, you know, you, you know, you're taking the trash out.
0: You yeah.
1: That's resistance exercise. You're working in the yard. That can be both cardiac and resistance. And and again, a PT, OP can help you figure that
0: out it Can help you kind yeah. of break it down and see what you're already doing that you don't realize that you're doing. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, th- when we say PT or OT, we're saying like physical therapist or occupational therapist, yeah. just, just, that just, I'm always trying to listen for like what might. Uh, Some people are listening like, what do they, what do they mean? Yeah. Yeah. The (laughs) lingo. And I think, I think for me, it's helpful to separate the three, the cardio from the muscle, from the muscle resistance training to the stretching, not that certain activities can't hit all three. Like Mm -hmm. yoga is a good example. One that definitely hits the stretching and resistance training sometimes, Mm -hmm. depending on what the positions are, um, or a lot of cardiovascular stuff is also helping build muscle, but um, but, you know, a lot of um, times people don't understand going back to something we talked about at the very beginning, the min- minutiae or the amount of little tiny tendons and muscles in the human hand and how helpful it can be to do like a stretching routine um, mm-hmm. and and that a physical therapist, or occupational therapist can give you a set of uh, your know, home program or recommendations, So you don't have to be looking at this figuring it all out on your own, you know? Right.
1: And they can break it down and they can say, here, this is what you can do. If you're having a flare, here's what yes. you can do if mm-hmm. you're coming out of a flare, here's what you can do. If your disease is pretty stable, you know, there should yeah. be, it should be three parts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's so key. It was, I think that's, yeah, it's not a, it's not a static set of recommendations that you're like m- manically doing every single day. Like, okay, well, this is my plan. I have to I have to do 30 minutes of moderate intensity cardio today. so I'm just going to do it even though I'm in a horrible flare. No, you need, we have to build in that flexibility. Um, yes. So I think that's so helpful that that you do that with, with your patients. I wonder, I don't, I, I just want to make sure I'm so I feel like I keep going on my own tangents, but what are some of the things um that in the, in the clinic that you run up there in Maine, you're mm-hmm. still okay to go a little over. Is that, or is yeah, that, okay? that's fine. sorry, I didn't mean to be, as was a leading yeah. question, but, um, you know, what have been some of the things that people have like, um, you know, I gave my little anecdote of my, my experience, my positive experience with mm-hmm. increasing my specifically my, um, resistance training, muscle, muscle building. What are some of, do you have any other like kind of success stories or any i'm sure you can probably pull a lot of anecdotes like what are some of the things that people tend to say that surprise them about improving their physical activity or things that they've enjoyed
1: oh my favorite one was a woman i was doing a um a patient education summit that was part of my research was doing some patient education groups and one woman we were talking about fatigue and we were talking about brain fog and she's like i thought i was getting dementia
0: Oh. I've heard that in my groups too. And I said, no,
1: brain fog is a thing. That is a thing. You know, I mean, if you could see my office, I've got like Post-its everywhere. Uh, You know, just to help me remember Yeah, I've got them all over the place. And um, she was just amazed that that was real. And it wasn't her losing her mind. It was uh, a result of her arthritis and, you know, her pain. And, you know, we do a lot of pain science education about you know when people start to kind of fall into that chronic pain behavior and that chronic pain you know it's like a sinkhole once you get in there it's hard to get out and talking about you know chronic pain is real pain um, but your body is reacting to it in a in a way that is not productive for you and once you can recognize that and we do a lot of education about the pain science that's kind of coming out it's a it's a kind of a hot topic in PT right now. Um, Yes, yeah, same road science. And, you know, it's like anything, some people respond really, really well as soon as they realize what's happening Mm -hmm. in their brain in response to this pain, which again is real and perception is is individual, but pain is real and knowing how to manage those, that pain in their head before they manage it outside their body.
0: Yes. I think one of the, I I don't know if I'm reading between between the lines correctly, but one of the things when you said, you know, uh, chronic pain behaviors are a common one is guarding or um, resisting movement, not wanting to move. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, again, it's intuitive. It's logical to say in the same way that, with fatigue, I'm tired. It does not make yeah. sense to spend more energy. We're told, listen to your body. Well, my body pain is the body saying, don't do anything. Like don't move this thing. It hurts. Like I'm telling you to stop, but with chronic pain, you have to learn that that body, that signal is actually giving you information. That's not a hundred It's, is a too big response to a small yeah. stimulus. It's yeah. like, it's like you have a pot of water that's getting a tiny bit warmer and for some reason, the thermometer is like, oh my God, it's boiling. Wait, wait, stop. You know, you're like, oh. yeah. yeah. So I don't know, that's probably not the best analogy, but yeah, that we have to learn everything is so much more complicated than it seems at first, right? It's you have to listen to your body to understand your own body's rhythms. And if you're in like a massive flare, but if you're not in an overall systemic flare, you're and your body's you're you're having some stiffness in a certain joint. Movement is actually going to relieve that stiffness more so than resting, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And and, and it's 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 called centralization of pain. Is the technical term for it. And you know when the pain centralizes, it does. Your body reacts like it's a four alarm fire. Mm -hmm. You know when there isn't actually damage being done because pain means damage, right? And so you know usually that's the cycle. But what happens with chronic pain is the pain now. Is reacting so high that it's like there is damage, but there really isn't. And so, recognizing when there's damage and when there's not is a really big milestone yeah. for someone with chronic pain. Being able to make that that distinguish, you know, to distinguish between the two, it's amazing the difference. Once you, you know, and 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 a PT can help you, yeah, through that
0: process, that that cognitive process, help figure that out. And especially if their PT is more trained, yes. in, if they're up to date with current science, pain neurosciences, like you said, it's, it's really changed a lot. You know, they used to say, I mean, they used to put, you know, I've had, interviewed people for this podcast who are in serial casts mm-hmm. as JIA patients. I mean, like, which is the absolute worst thing we know now to do would be to immobilize right. the joint right. people situation um and and so i did i'm going to refer you guys uh listening back to episode 93 also with um pain research dr afton Hassett, you probably know her mm-hmm. i don't i don't know if you know her from university of michigan yes um but she's done a lot of great education as well on um you know pain science and she has a great book that's kind of disentangling um understanding chronic pain Um, so the chronic pain reset, which I think is great. So, um, and so, and going back to the kind of the concept in general of like understanding that there are these, we have these pillars of physical activity, the cardio, muscle resistance, training, Mm -hmm. stretching. And then we also have overall lifestyle pillars or lifestyle interventions, integrative treatments Mm -hmm. for RA. Like we talked about exercise is one and then diet, nutrition, sleep and rest, mind, and another one that we haven't talked to much about is mind, body, or and and um mental health, you know, managing yeah. our stress, yeah. managing our mental health. And I I'm I'm gonna refer to people listening also to one other thing that I created with a couple other um, you know, of my rheumatoid arthritis friends, which is called like I have made these charts. So I said, and it's called lifestyle pillars for rheumatoid arthritis. Each person's balance is different. And the charts are The four things sleep and rest, exercise, nutrition, and stress management, which is kind of catch all for mental health. And how, if you're putting that in a pie chart, how much of the pie is taken up by each one of those? For some people, like Dr. Singla, half of it is sleep and rest, and then nutrition is the second biggest one. For Renee, nutrition is half of it, and then the other three are equally divided. For me. It used to be exercise wasn't as big because I wasn't utilizing it as much. Now I'm realizing what a bang for the buck I'm getting, so I'm doing a lot of exercise, physical activity, and then sleep and rest. And nutrition's a small part. I've never had as nutrition intervention make a noticeable difference on my arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. But because of this, because of understanding overall the benefits of like an anti-inflammatory, you know, Mediterranean style diet, I do still follow that. It's just good for your health overall, you know. But other, yeah. So understanding, I think that i think it's important for each person to get to the understanding that okay it's not a one size fit all um, would you agree yeah. with that
1: <laughs> yeah and you know i actually think of it as a, as a circle and all yeah. these things sleep you know exercise fatigue uh, you know pharmaceutical because there is a pharmaceutical component you know all of those yeah. things and lifestyle things that we do as well as our medications and our and things are in a circle And anything in that circle that you can tackle helps everything else in the circle. So it helps it to be less overwhelming because if I decide, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work on say exercise, exercise is going to help my sleep. It's going to help my fatigue. It's going to help all the other things. And it's going to help my medications work better. It's going to help me feel better. My depression is better. It helps everything else. Or let's say I'd want to work on my depression. And I I got to go see somebody and talk to somebody, a therapist, a counselor. And then that improves my mood improves. That helps me better able to exercise. And, you know, it, it's, yes. all, you can pick one thing to start and yeah. it's going to improve everything else. And then you can try, you can add
0: as you feel ready. A hundred. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, I'm really glad you mentioned medication because I do talk a lot on the podcast about uh, the importance of understanding that the evidence for um you know arthritis rheumatoid arthritis medications is if you compare that to lifestyle interventions you you know i think uh, the latest research i saw was like 9 around 95% or you know maybe give or take what 10% let's say let's mm-hmm. say at, at you know at the very least amount would be maybe 85% of people with rheumatoid arthritis are going to need to take medication to mm-hmm. to control the disease and and I my attitude about that has been, you know, to consciously choose to feel really grateful about that and to kind of see that as a positive thing. I'm so grateful. You know, there's a lot of people friends I have with rare conditions that don't have any medications, they don't have any, mm. any evidence-based thing to do. They're just flying blind, you know. So if it is it's not an either or, most people who are doing lifestyle interventions are doing yeah. them in conjunction. It's not like you have to choose one or the other, but right. we're not, I don't want to create like a false equivalency or whatever to say, like, these are just as strong as medicine for a lot of patients. Medicine is going to be, the pharmaceuticals will probably be the the foundation of your intervention pyramid. Mm -hmm. These are things that at least you can control in your daily life a lot more than your medication.
1: Right, and all those little things that you implement as you implement them over the, like over the course of my lifetime, I've implemented a lot of little things. I mean, you look at my kitchen, And it's set up. I like to cook and it's set up for someone with arthritis. I have, you know, the rocker knives and I have all of those things and I have it set up efficiently because that's what I love to do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, over the years you implement all these small changes and it really helps your longevity of your joints and your mobility and your movement. Yeah. It's not a, like a one shot thing. It's, it's, over the course of a lifetime, you can manage it and you can be successful. And, you know, you can do the things that you want to do. You just have to modify it and you just have to kind of work up to it. Yeah. You know, don't, don't, don't say, I'm not going to be able to do this, this, and this, you know, again, find the right professional to maybe help you Mm -hmm. figure out, is there a way I can do it or do a part of it? This thing, whatever this thing is that I love to do. Um, Mm -hmm. because that's part of the joy in life and there isn't any reason why you shouldn't have joy right just because you have RA
0: right (laughs) well and I think yeah for me part of you know the overall my overall endeavor here is trying to figure out you know how do we thrive with these conditions and for me uh, along those same lines I I would just add that part of it part of thriving for me has become understanding and accepting that there may be things that I can't do the way I used to do I'm probably not going to be a soccer player you know Mm -hmm. I still played I was soccer player through college you know and I played with my husband when we first met and stuff but since particularly because of a car accident and I don't want to risk my neck through any headers or or, you know collisions Mm -hmm. um It's not, you know, I, I, I think it's important to give yourself space to grieve the loss of something Mm -hmm. that might be important to you or for someone else. It might be, you get to, you can get to a point where, you know, you use all the tools in your toolbox. you go to physical therapy. I'm going to personal training. I'm exercising. I'm sleeping. I'm doing, I'm talking to my doctors about my meds. And there's going to be a point where you might reach a ceiling where you're like, wow, this is, this is as good as we can manage this. And I still have X, Y, Z lingering Mm -hmm. symptom that's when for me the therapy and having coping tools to say okay I can make space for this grief and this Mm -hmm. sadness about not being able to do certain things but also make space for embracing all the things I can still do and like you said looking at what's still possible and like with a joyful gratitude Mm -hmm. you know um, but I don't know if that resonates to you at all. Like, do you have anything that you can't do? Cause you seem like so functional. Like, <laughs> what are you not doing? No, just kidding. Uh,
1: well, you know what? I don't know. Maybe I'm just really stubborn, but I just, uh, I, you for you. Know, I, I play softball. You yeah. know, I, I'm a second degree black belt. I work full time. I raised my children and, you know, I've had to modify things along the way. And, you know, I know how to do that, uh, you know, as yeah. a physical therapist, it, it kind of comes naturally to me. And so, right, right. you know, I find that I, I live for my best days not my worst.
0: Right. You know? right. And yeah.
1: so I, uh, I very rarely say I can't. Yeah. Well, and that's, and, you know, and if I can't, I, I tried it and it didn't work. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll find something else that I like to do.
0: Yeah, you yeah and I, that's a that is a like compensatory approach sometimes it is super helpful like i ended up i for example i coached my son's soccer team when he was um 8 years old you know and i was away from me to you know channel my love of soccer mm-hmm. in a way that yeah. wasn't going to hurt again i would be playing soccer still on like a you know adult co-ed if it wasn't for my neck i i would mm-hmm. um it's just it's too i also had a concussion it's just i had multiple concussions as a kid mm-hmm. um and then yeah. the car accident kind of put the oh. nail on the car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now i am how i am today no not i'm not saying nail on the other i'm saying that it's my executive functions are very precious to me so i'm not going to put my head on my neck in any activity mm-hmm. that i might get um uh, it, but you know and
1: it, again it's a choice that you made it's not yeah. life carrying you all along and you're just saying oh yeah. I can't do that you're like no this is the choice that I am making mm-hmm.
0: and that's important
1: mm-hmm. to 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 make that choice and not just say, I can't do that because I have RA I can't do that because mm-hmm. I do this. can't do that because I'm in pain you're not really making a choice there
0: yeah you know?
1: to be able to make that Conscious choice, saying, "You know what? I'm going to coach soccer because I love soccer, and I'm going to coach my son's team. That's fun, yeah. And, you know, and and you know, I did the same thing with softball. I coached my my kid's softball team, and it was fun, you know. And um, you know, a way to again find that joy in life and make a choice, not let the disease carry you wherever it may land you. You know, I don't well, know if that makes sense, but." <laughs>
0: that's beautiful when I was just gonna ask one of my last questions as I was like what advice do you have for newly diagnosed patients but I feel like I mean, everything you said has been so I think helpful to a newly diagnosed patient but just because I gave you these questions ahead of time is there anything else you would want to say to like a newly yeah, diagnosed? you
1: know, build, build your network Yeah, you know, build your network of health professionals of support groups uh, you know find your good resources online your good reliable resources online and you know be, become informed informed, become informed about your diagnosis, because then you can be an advocate for yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really important to understand what your needs are. And in by having a support group and by having a, a group of professionals, PTs, OTs, counselors, dietit- you know, whoever
0: yeah. you yeah. can
1: afford and whoever you, you know, you want to have in your life, that helps you become more informed. And it helps you advocate for yourself.
0: I mean, you're 100 speaking speaking yeah. my language in terms of having a support group, yeah. And I think I've I talked about this with some rheumatologists. I'm like, you know, the fact that you're not proactively referring people to OTPT social works. Like it's a tacit communication to these patients that, that they should be able to just figure it on your own. Otherwise, why wouldn't they have told me to go to these places? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I asked my own rheumatologist. I said, do you refer people to PT? Right. he goes, well, no. I said, well,
1: why not? As soon as they're diagnosed, why don't you refer them to PT? And he says, well, it's usually not covered. I said, but it's not going to get covered unless the referrals are made. You got to keep referring and yeah. then maybe the reimbursement will come, but right. you know, well, I, just, I said it at the conference we use that as an excuse, and I think there isn't any reason why you yes. can't get the referral. And if and the referral doesn't happen, at least it's important, and you've signaled that it's important by making that referral to the patient and to the insurance company.
0: And I've had this conversation, like I've gone to Washington D.C. with mm-hmm. through the help, and I'm I know you have done advocacy too you know, all the major nonprofits do a lot of advocacy at the state and national level, as well as, you know, American College of Rheumatology, Arthritis Foundation, all these places. And I remember asking in D.C. with the uh, American College of Rheumatology in 2019, like, I don't get like there. I don't get why. Don't the insurance companies want to save money? A one hundred and fifty dollar or 201 hundred dollar hour physical therapy appointment is a lot cheaper Then one month of my medication, which costs, you know, $5,000 or whatever. And they're like, the lobbyist was saying that basically they don't care about, and this is just, sorry, side note, but potentially helping people understand sometimes the preventative care is not covered, like preventative care with a PT or OT to teach you about how to protect your joints, even if you're not in a horrible state yet, you know, where you just got diagnosed. It's not covered because they all, this is what the lobbyists said. All they care about is their quarterly bottom line, making money that quarter, not saving money for their insurance um, business Mm -hmm. long-term because people's insurance is tied to employment. And so they might change jobs. Just thought, oh my gosh, that is just so short-sighted. You'd think they're figuring out with diabetes, because diabetes is so expensive and potentially deadly, if not managed correctly, Mm -hmm. that they're giving people access to certified Mm -hmm. diabetes educators. Mm-hmm. Well, what about certified arthritis educators? Yeah, that's what we're absolutely. trying to do.
1: Arthritis, yeah. one in four people in the U.S. Right? Yeah, I okay. mean that's a, starting that's it a today. Population. <laughs> yeah, that's another whole podcast. That is a whole, yeah. Thank
0: you so much, Brian. I I asked you before if we can go over and maybe I should have said, how much over can we go? (laughs) Like I said, I have no constraints. Oh, good. I really want to come visit you in Maine. I have this idea of doing an arthritis world tour where I just go around the world talking to interesting people who have arthritis and help people with arthritis. So um, if I, I think that would be so, yeah, sometimes I can see on the podcast, like where people are listening from actually, where, Mm -hmm. how do I get to my little calendar? Thing here audience yeah I can see that there's people in in this little map um you know in Melbourne Australia in Perth in Auckland in Quezon City is that in Indonesia Singapore Frankfurt Port, oh, wow. you know uh all of Hawaii two downloads in Honolulu in the last month um so I'm like oh I gotta go you know um oh my god I came and pronounced some of these names of the cities um Copenhagen uh yeah Oh my gosh, crazy. Okay, sorry. I'm, not, I'm getting distracted by this. Oh, Russia, Ulan Bator. Hello to whoever's in Ulan Bator. In oh, well. If you ever need a, a valet, I'll be. I can. I'll come with you. Okay. Oh, that'd be so fun. <laughs> well, thank you. This is super, super helpful. I really hope that people. I know that people listening will feel like they have a better handle on what the you know physical activity can do for mm-hmm. them, and and how these integrative health guidelines can help them get, get like a good starting point. And hopefully they'll choose PT. I know that was one of the campaigns. Yes,
1: Choose PT, choose yeah. PT first. And yeah. it's the it's, APTA's
0: slogan right now. Yeah. Then I mean, there's a lot of other conditions that, you know, we didn't even talk about back pain or like ankylosing spondylitis and stuff, but there's so much great evidence about, you know, physical therapy as an intervention for, you know, back pain that can maybe potentially spare people having to get surgery and stuff like that. So, um, but where, if people are interested in following up with you, where can they find you online? They can find me on LinkedIn,
1: Kimberly yeah. Steinbarger. It's just under my name. Yeah. Um, at K Steinbarger is my Twitter. Um, Or you can look up Huston University and just put my name in and you can find me
0: there. I well. love it. Well, that's so, and I, again, thank you for your service of running your clinic. I meant to say, because. I've never heard of any other clinic with specifically a pro bono clinic for people with inflammatory arthritis. So that's pretty amazing. Yes. Yes. We see all kinds of patients, but you know, oh. that's
1: my specialty is, is, Oh, yeah. I see. Okay. Sorry. I get okay. referrals particularly for that because they know that I'm there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and maybe if, and I, so much of it, unfortunately there isn't like a great directory that I'm aware of, um, of like physical therapists or occupational therapists that can help you that are like particularly, graded arthritis but um it's really a word directory the acr directory um, oh
1: oh do they somebody had asked me about it at the conference and they um they i wasn't there for some reason but now i am
0: oh good okay Okay. well maybe health
1: professionals can go into that acr directory for people so they can help tell people
0: yeah yeah, that's that's actually really good to know
1: because i think
0: a lot of people ask me how do i find you i'm in wichita kansas how do i find a good and i'm like Ask your rheumatologist who they hear good things about from their patients. Like, I, there's no great place. You know, in- what do
1: they call it? Find a practitioner. It's on oh. the ACR website. There's a find. Oh, out. okay.
0: Yeah, if you can find. I know I'm on there. Okay, I will. I will put. I will put that on as well. Then. Okay. Um, I'll yeah. put that on the show notes. The show notes um are always found on like the Arthritis Life website which oh, okay. the long URL is if I got earlier about long names, arthritis.theenthusiasticlife.com. But I usually just say, if you put in myarthritislife.net, it'll redirect you to, uh, okay. I so, <laughs> well, but yeah. I, yeah, I have paid for if, if people listening. Who maybe you're newer. I, for every episode, there's like a show notes page that has the full transcript of the episode, the video and the audio and like links to things that we talked about today, links to the 2022 acr guidelines which are also on rheumatology.org but thank you so much again right, thank you uh, for
1: having me it was fun
0: it was so fun okay we'll talk to you more later bye bye right, for now you take care bye. happy new year you too bye thank you so much for listening to another episode of the arthritis life podcast this episode is brought to you by room to thrive an educational program i created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident supported and connected in a matter of weeks You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.